Hi, I'm Jen Ives. And I'm Peter Dean. And today, listen to the very first episode of The Trans Lobby. And what are we uh, talking about today, Pete? Today we're talking about the 1992 movie, The Crying Game. Is that about crying in some way? Does anyone cry in it? Well, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Oh, no, I think that's a valid question. Like, I don't remember much crying in it. Is there a scene where someone cries? It's, na- it's named after the song she's singing. I know, by Boy George. I know, but is but is there? But if you're going to name a film, she does cry it a few times. I have that in my notes. That it, and he mops her tears off her face when she when he like comes to accept. He her licks them, board. doesn't he? He licks. He says, "You cry, and I'll see how many of your tears I can lick up, and that will be a fun little crying game that we're going to have." And then those tears are actually what he throws up later on in That's, the film. Yeah, because he got food poisoning from her trans tears. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, should we cut it there? <laughs> We're doing it. Here we yeah, are. Yeah. How are you, P? I'm good, Jen. How are you? How's your week been? I can't really remember my whole week. I can remember like the last two days and they've been okay. <laughs> have have any men vomed at the sight of your nude body? <laughs> no, not quite. I haven't managed to get to that point yet this week. Uh have I I mean, I haven't even managed to get anyone through my door, so it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. But when okay. did you watch oh. the crying game, P? Like, wasn't it like a couple of days ago? So it's not, so it's more fresh in my mind than yours. I yeah, think. I, I literally had never seen it before, and I only watched it the first time two days Which ago. Which makes sense because you're some... trans and you're Irish, so it's like. I know I'm ticking both the boxes, but I would like to make it very clear that I. I'm not now, nor have I ever been affiliated with the IRA. Well, you say that, Pete, but I've seen I... some photographs and you, it looks like you're in them. They're very, 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 you look very similar. The people are, people are very good at Photoshop these yeah. days. What I will say as well is I was so disappointed because I didn't know that much about the movie going in. I knew there were IRA elements. I knew there were trans elements. But the trans character is British. Like, I always had it in my head that if they put this on stage, for example, I'd be the obvious person to play that well, role. Can you do a British accent? But now I'm not even, like... Because it only has to be marginally... Can I do a British accent? It only has to be marginally better than Forrest Whitaker's British accent. <laughs> and, that, and that's, like, pretty easy, I think. I think I could do a, a wonderful British accent. I think uh, I could play a hairdresser. And I like that you're doing like the I could choppy like motion with your fingers. A, <laughs> I could be a hairdresser. What's helping me get into character? <laughs> I'm an Edward Scissorhands type. Yeah, I, I, it is like the way the film is like constructed. It's like it's like written backwards, right? So it can like fit in all these things. It's like it starts in Ireland. They go to Britain. It's like it doesn't make any. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? And t- it's like, well, this is what this is what I thought. The pitch for this is insane. Like it's, you know, the idea that they're going to make this film about uh, an IRA man who defor- forms a friendship with a guy he's holding hostage, and then he has to go over to England to tell his ex girlfriend that he's dead, and he ends up falling in love with the girl. I mean, that's kind of a weird yeah, enough pitch in 1992 weird, right? anyway. <laughs> like, at the height of the troubles, Downing Street, Downing Street Declaration has not been signed yet and won't be for another couple of years. And then, plot twist, she's also fucking trapped. Yeah. Like, 
wild. Yeah, it is a bit of a plot twist, yeah. And that's what the film was famous for, right? That was, like, its whole thing. Like, it was one of those movies that, like, people were, like, whispering about, like, in the woods and stuff, you know? <laughs> like, have you seen? Yeah, people would go out to the woods and perform neo-pagan rituals and write down their feelings in the crying game and burn them on a pyre. Because yes. they daren't speak them all exactly. out. And sometimes you'd see it carved into the trees, dill for... Is it Jim? <laughs> Dill for Jim. Was his name Jim in it? Well, Jimmy, Jimmy is his Jimmy is his alias. His real name is Fergus. And this is part of like that, that I will say right out, Fergus is a fucking worm and Dill deserves better. My big my big uh party line with this is Dill deserved better. what's the name of the actor who plays Fergus? Stephen Ray, yeah. one of our finest living actors. Yeah, I like him though. So, like, I think she did all right. Oh, he's very good yeah. as an actor. And the thing is, I'm loath to talk about him in too negative terms because for our listeners who don't know, I'm kind of in theatre <laughs> and he does a lot of theatre acting. So there is a small, however tiny chance that my path might someday cross with Stephen Ray in a professional capacity. Well, is quite small, and it got me it? thinking tiny little country yeah, tiny. and we lost a bit of it for reasons we won't oh, go into did you, where was but... the last place you looked did you have you, have you retraced your steps and checked properly you're sounding very colonialist right now but i'll choose to That's overlook brand, it though, but it got me thinking <laughs> it got me thinking that every time stephen ray meets a trans person now the the thought must be on their head like this guy would throw up if he saw me in the nip. No, because that was acting. The one thing that would be going through my mind would be, oh, this guy's down. He's down to, like, he's done it on screen. Like, he'll do it in private. <laughs> well, he's down to an extent. He's down provided he's really living out the love he had for his hostage. I have a... And he's down provided he can cut your hair in a very upsetting scene. I mean, we'll get into it later, but people talk about the reveal of her gender identity. That sort of, I'm going to call it the makeover scene, is to me so much more upsetting. Yeah, I think it's that thing. It's like for trans people, that's an upsetting scene, I think, because it's like it plays more into like your identity being stripped away and like being forced to be somebody else, right? Um, the big reveal scene, the famous scene, you know, I didn't realise how soon that comes up. Like, it's actually not as far into the film as I thought it was. I had this idea that it was like, oh, it's like right at the end, like the M. Night Shyamalan twist, right? <laughs> it's like, surprise! But actually, like, it's it's pretty middle of the movie and then like... Yeah, it's the M. Day Shyamalan twist, if anything. It comes a lot earlier than you expected Good one, to. P. That's why you're I mean, so... You get, you get some... The, that's why you're so renowned in the theatre. This, this is what our listeners can come to expect. Sure. But there is some foreshadowing, and especially when uh, Jim Broadbent's barman, who I want to get into a bit more as well, Cole. sort of leans into uh, Cole. Is that his name? I was just calling him Broadbent Barman uh, in my notes. But he, he, firstly, my platonic ideal of a barman. I love that guy. He has the energy 
of a child who is living out a fantasy of being a barman. barman. He is so into the like. He is so into the idea of having regulars and his regulars ordering the usual and like there's a sing song bit where he's just like in his element. He's also a great ally as he proves a few times later, apart from when he nearly outs Dill to Fergus um, when Fergus comes to the the bar. But he, he doesn't. We'll get to that. I mean, should we start at the top, just plot-wise, to for anyone who maybe hasn't seen the film? Yeah, I mean, if we have to. I mean, I my I would say fuck those people, but you can. We can do it. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> I'll throw them a bone. Look, I'm feeling charitable. I'm thorough. I like a note. I made notes, and I'd love to share them with you. You can edit all of my notes out. Let's but hear the I, notes. You know. <sighs> Welcome to film theory <laughs> class. Okay, so we open with what the first thing I thought was interesting about the movie is it opens with the song When a Man Loves a Woman. So the mise-en-scene of the film, if Uh, I may use the word mise-en-scene right out the gate. We're trying to I wanna appeal to the most amount of people. I want I wanna appeal to the idiots out there, okay? Can you translate? Okay, let me do a retake on that then. So it opens with when a man comes (laughs) when (laughs) When a man man what? Let me do a third take what on that. Know, but what it opens say, with Pete? the song. <laughs> when a man does what on a woman? When a man comes a woman. <laughs> oh. So it opens with when a man loves a mm-hmm. woman. So what the film is acknowledging is that Dill is a woman right from the outset, which in 1992, I think is pretty progressive from the film. But, right? And I don't know if they're not. But is it though? That's my hot take. Well, it's because it's one of those things in it where it's like, it's winky, it's like knowing, and it's kind of, it's one of those things where it's like, it's put there with the intention of like, oh, but once you've seen the film, if you watch it again, you'll be like, oh, I see what they did there, right? Well, this is the thing. This is where I fall down for only having seen it once. I was also going to give the benefit of the doubt and say it might be referring to Forrest Whitaker's character, Jody. And the IRA lady, Jude, because it opens with them playing ring toss at a carnival and Whitaker wants to bone Jody. He, I mean, pardon, Jody wants to bone Jude. There's a lot of, you know, gendered naming that is kind of swapped around in this film. Clearly, intentionally, it feels heavy handed. We won't get into it. But yeah. Jody wants to bone Jude. So he wins her a big, ugly bear and uh, takes a piss while holding her hands, which... Uh, he says is nice. Stephen Ray watches because it's actually a setup for them to kidnap yeah. Jody, Forrest Whitaker's character. Uh-huh. So then Fergus and his cronies attack Whitaker, Jody. So when Fergus is given the job of looking after Jody, Forrest Whitaker's character, mm-hmm. and he starts feeding him chocolate. And How Jody tells chocolate? him, quote, was that he chocolate? has... Because it's clearly Cadbury's dairy milk. You can see the purple wrapper. Oh, I thought it was just feeding him toast the whole time because he fed him toast in one bit. And then I just assumed that it was always toast after that. Is that like... No, it was chocolate. Only only the best for his little Jody. <laughs> this is my thing, right? As soon as he says that he has a killer smile and a baby face, you can see Ray's face light up. He's so into it and he rewards him with more dairy milk. Yeah. He, like, Forrest Whitaker is daddy, is my <laughs> note here. And the sexual tension between them is so thick 
following Whitaker's unmasking. <laughs> there is definitely like a homoerotic uh, subtext in it, right? Between those two. It's kind of like hinting at the fact that like Fergus is kind of open from the start a little bit. Oh yeah, they're both like at best by curious. Like Whitaker literally says, want to show you something, my inside pocket. And then gets out a photo of him in his cricketing gear to firstly show off that he plays sports, but also to look how cute he is as a cricketer. And there's that bit where he, where he essentially makes him touch his dick. Yeah, I mean, all I'm saying is, if it meant that I could bone young Forrest Whitaker, I would gladly live in danger and fear as a member of the IRA. I don't think it. Me- I don't think it means that you can do that. I, th- I think, I think he still has to like be on board in that as well i don't and also i think also you have to do all all the things that are involved with being an ira like firstly you have to sit for long periods of time with your eye on him like not doing anything yeah but i'd be so into that the guy's like a fucking painting Mm. have you seen forrest whitaker one of the most interesting faces he is what i believe americans call a character actor and what i believe we call an actor oh my god but also i would say this The bit where he gets that photo out is interesting from a trans perspective because the first time in the film we see Dill is in that photo in his wallet. And what struck me is the fact that he wants to show her off. Yeah. Like he's keen to show her off to another guy. Like He loves Dill. Did you like that they go on to flirt with some cricket V hurling banter? <laughs> yeah. To show that they're different, but not so different after well, all. It all feels so sexualized to me. So hurling, look, I'm not a sports but person. But you are Irish. But so. hurling, it is famously any guy in a pub in Ireland will love to tell you that it's the fastest ball sport on yeah. earth. So you kind of... It looks, I suppose, a bit like hockey, but the ball flies through the air and it's on kind of like a pitch that I think is actually bigger than a rugby pitch. And there is a goal with like posts. So you can either score like in the goal or over the bar. That's the extent of my knowledge here. I think I'm doing pretty well. Is it dangerous? Is it like a, like a death sport? See, I don't want to say yes or no, because I feel like there's probably a very big cultural conversation around that, and I don't want to be party okay, to it. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I w- All I'll say is, I know a lot of people who played hurling growing up, and none of them died from it. Is it like curling? <laughs> no, but I would love to see a hybrid of the yeah. two, where instead of brooming a little weight on some ice, you're kind of brooming the little ball... FYI, the ball in hurling is called a slitter, mm. that you're brooming the little slitter with the hurl. <laughs> and you know what it would be called, that hybrid? Churling. Home run, right <laughs> out the gate. Get on to the Olympic <laughs> Committee. You. Do you get it? Because it's like hurling when is they're... C and hurling is an eight. I got it. I got it. I got it so quickly <laughs> that I was about to start my next sentence with no reference oh, to okay. it whatsoever. <laughs> So when they're talking about cricket and hurling, everything is so sexualized. Like, clearly the cricket bat and the hurl are phallic symbols. I think we can accept that, right? Um, Again, I think you're going too Freudian on it. But they're clearly, there's just I, every single iota of my being when the two are on screen together is just 
willing them to vote. It's a great... It's all I want to see. It's one of the best openings of a film, I think, though, to be fair. Like, it is, like, a really great opening. Like, that whole first, like, 20 minutes is, like, a short film in itself. Like, the fact that you get more is almost like you're being treated or something, you know? Like, it's... I mean... Yeah, no, I, I really... Honestly, I there's a version of this movie to be made where uh, Fergus and Jody are the central love story and it's set more within this section of the film and I think that would potentially be better. It's kind of my it's kind of my one problem, well, yeah, it's like my one problem with the film really is that like it does just feel like two films squashed together, I think. It's like I would like to have seen more of both halves of it. Um, they just feel like diff. They just feel like two stories that have been squashed together uh, to include everybody. Like it doesn't make it. It doesn't. Well, yeah, that's part of what's so wild about the movie is the unevenness of it. And let's let's flag. Sounds like someone's come around on Whitaker all of a sudden. You want to see more <laughs> of this guy now? Hey, look. I think even if even if Whitaker had been played by like a sack of. I was going to say potatoes, but I felt bad saying it, and I didn't mean it to be a, a reference to Ireland. But you don't say anything. You, you don't... Don't worry, I'm offended. <laughs> yeah, but what else can you say? You can't say, like, oh, a sack of pumpkins, or a sack... Like, the point is... <laughs> sack of pumpkins is far more visceral imagery <laughs> okay. if we're talking Forrest well, Whitaker. We... I'll be honest, sack of pumpkins hits the nail on the head, Re Whitaker. Okay. I, I go sack of pumpkins. Okay, so even if he, if he had just been a sack of pumpkins... Because uh, let's be honest, like, he doesn't have to do that much at the beginning of the film. He has to, like, lay down a little bit. He has to sit down for a little bit. And for a lot of it, he does have a bag on his head. And we have to see these bizarre sort of, um, like, dream ballet interstitials of him uh, playing cricket. I love, I which love are clearly, clearly Fergus's sexual fantasies, as we'll get yeah. to later. But that's what those bits well, are. I like the idea of being haunted by, like, a sports ghost, right? Which is what I think he is. He's, like, coming out of the darkness, bowling guilt at you. Like, that's what I got from them. Look, while while we're pitching alternative Forest Whitaker vehicles based on this film, haunted by a sports <laughs> ghost, home run pitch right out the gate. I think you need to call up whoever your industry contacts are and get that made tomorrow. I know um, Bob Weinstein from Miramax. I could give him a call. At this point in the story, Whitaker gives us the story of the frog and the scorpion. Mm -hmm. This is the first point of the film where I started to lose patience because it felt like it was a bit self-important, this sense of like a parable being told from the prisoner to the guy he's meant to be Holding him hostage. See, I liked it. And I basically the parables. parable. Ugh. Oh, yeah, but the parable for the listener is that there's a frog and a scorpion, and the scorpion's like, hey, man, give me a ride on your back. I can't get across the river otherwise. And the frog's like, dude, you will fully sting me if I give you that ride. And the scorpion's like, nah. And then the frog's like, okay. Frog gives the scorpion a ride, ends up getting stung, and he's like, hey, man, you stung me. You said you wouldn't. And he and he says, it's in my nature. Yeah. But it's presented in a way, not that the scorpion's an asshole, just that that's the we all have things in our nature. So Jody uses this to make the point that Fergus has a kind nature. Yeah. But hey, 
we'll see who fucks whose trans girlfriend <laughs> later, won't we? Sure, but he is dead at that point. So it's fine. Well, he's he's coming towards death. But like, what is it that you have a problem with that parable? Like, it's a perfectly poetic uh, description of, of, of nature versus nurture, right? Isn't that, isn't that the point of it? Isn't it saying something about the 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 spirit of man or frog? Yeah, it's not so much the it. parable itself that I. It's not so much the parable itself that I'm taking issue with. I think it's more the the inclusion of the it. sense of of yeah, of one a guy being held hostage and telling his captor a parable about human nature feels to me heavy-handed in a movie that's otherwise pretty grounded. Is the movie grounded, though? That's that's a good question. I don't think it is a very grounded movie. Well, grounded, not well, yeah, we do get those kind of heightened, like we said, dream sequences with uh, Whitaker playing cricket and all that kind of stuff. So there are elements that are not grounded, but to me that feels self-important tonally like it feels like it's like Whitaker's character is trying to be something he's not and not in a conscious way it just feels like the Jody I know and love would not say that it's so weird to me that like you have only just seen this film because like to me it's such like a a cultural um milestone like like so many things reference it like it's referenced in like so many other different forms of media it's used as like a shorthand for like describing like trans experiences like the crying game you know it's like it's almost as sort of relevant as something like silence of the lambs or you know stuff like that like i'm just surprised you haven't seen it is it not big in ireland do people do that do the irish not really rate it I don't think it's so much a national thing. I think it's more just the fact that I knew that it had this supposedly problematic gender reveal that I was not that keen on watching it. So t- so that's interesting. Like, tell me, how problematic did you find it on a scale of 1 to 10? Right, well, it's clearly sensationalist and it's clearly inviting the audience to be shocked and it's using her gender as a tool for shock. But... Ultimately, the camera stays on her. You know, he goes off and voms in the background repeatedly, and he voms a lot. He does. But uh, the audience are being invited to sympathize with Dill at that moment. They're not being invited to look at uh, Fergus and think, yeah, he's right to be disgusted. Yeah. We're supposed to be thinking this poor woman has just had her dignity stripped from her in the most intimate way imaginable. That's a good point, you know, because, like, I think the film keeps that up, like, throughout all of it, to be honest with you. Like, it never goes to that place that other films do, which is like, oh, this person had it coming, like, they deserved what happened to them, sort of thing. Like, you never really get that at all. Yeah, and I think throughout the film, she is afforded such a sense of, of dignity to everything she does, and she's a real... She feels like a very proud person. She feels like she has a lot of agency in what she does. You know, she has a normal job where her co-workers know she's trans. And the only thing is just that how sad it is that she's dependent on these men who lie to her and mistreat her. And she's so desperate to be loved. Well, let's talk about Dave for a minute. That, uh... <laughs> let's get on to Dave the scumbag. <laughs> yeah. Dave. Like, we all know a Dave, but like... 
I don't I don't buy their relationship. Like I don't think Dave from Essex would have been anywhere near there. You know, like I just don't envision Dave from Essex being a regular in that particular pub. Well, if Dave from Essex is a chaser, then I can fully buy into it. Like if that's the pub where he knows you go here to meet trans girls. But is he though? But but this this is what I wonder about Dave. Like does I don't think Dave knows that um Dill is trans. But it's suggested that they fuck, right? No, it's suggest I don't think it is explicitly. It's suggested that they do stuff. In the same way that yeah. she does stuff with Fergus before he finds out. Um, mm-hmm. The reason I think that is because when they're in the alley and Fergus like beats him up kind of and has his foot on his neck, his reaction is to call her a lesbian cunt. And it's just like, just not a usual thing that you would maybe call a trans woman. I don't know. Yeah, if, I get your point that if he's going to lash out and use a slur, it would be something relating to the fact that she's yeah, trans. Yeah, that's if what I'm thinking. he was equipped with that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. So yeah, I just don't really get I what mean, the whole like, deal is about. For me, Scumbag Dave is purely there so that... Fergus can save Dill from some some sort of external threat. Yeah. Like, or seem seem better by comparison. Like, Scumbag Dave from Essex is not providing much in the way of story, in the way of anything, really. Well, just fashion. A, a fashion. guy with a hairline. Oh, yeah, the shell <laughs> suit later paired with neck brace. He's He's got something it's going on. in there. right now, the Scumbag Dave from Essex look, right? Like, it's, it, like in Shoreditch, you see that look all the time. Can we talk about that bar then? The matchup? Yeah. What about it? So, I feel like Jim Broadbent's a barman. We know this. Is Jim Broadbent also the proprietor landlord? Is this... It, my point is, is this bar and its vibe the invention of Jim Broadbent's character? I don't... Or does he just work there? Um, well, he seems to be the only barman there. Like, he's always there. And there doesn't seem to be anyone else working there. And the bar is extremely gay. Like, And, and you know what's cool about the bar is it's not just like a gay bar, um, as would be, again, represented in media from the time of like, just mostly guys sort of like, you know, thrusting around or whatever. Like, it's actually a pretty queer bar. Like, do you know what I mean? There's like... It's very diverse in that bar. Like it could, like if you if you showed somebody some that footage now and was like, oh, by the way, that's like a that's like a non-binary hangout. You'd be like, oh yeah, I see that. Like there's a lot of different people represented in that in that um, bar scene, uh, as opposed to just like yeah, totally. And I think I think part of that is because it's meant to be a cabaret mm. bar. And so that's going to attract a diverse, a more diverse clientele than if it's just, you know, a sex thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, what did you think of Dill's performance on stage? Like the first time we see her in her element. I'm all, I'm singing the titular song. Every time I see that scene, I'm always alarmed by her earrings. Like I, I can never get past them. Like, like I love what she's wearing, but those earrings—they look like two pom poms that she got from a primary school art supplies chest 
and just like <laughs> from her ears. I, I'm not sure if that's that the actual singing voice of the uh of the actor playing Dill. Um I would guess it's probably Jay not, Davidson. But um yeah. I would guess not either. What struck me about it is I fully agree with the pom pom earrings. Please yeah, lose yeah. them. Get some hoops. But the gold sequin dress, yes, please. I want to get married in that yeah. dress. The thing that struck me so much about the performance, not the voice, but the handography. So I mean, she is the she is the woman with the most <laughs> active wrists I have ever seen in a film. To the point that being trans is no longer the most noteworthy thing about her. Like in the previous scene when Broadbent went into Warren Fergus about her before the song, it was actually to watch out she's the woman with the world's most expressive yeah, wrist. like don't get a hand job off of her. Like That's what he was going to go and whisper in his ear, just like... <laughs> like this is the thing, I was so entranced by her wrist that I assumed it was some kind of plot point. Like I said, I'd not seen this movie before, but I knew the vague premise. So all the wrist business made me think, okay, some serious hand job content is about to be, is about to follow. Yeah. Because like... When you're seeing all of this, and it's not in a kind of like, you know, voguing sort of She's like very intentional voguing. sort of she way. invented voguing. It's, it's almost as if, and I wonder is this what it is, that they had someone sort of like doing some vague research into ballroom culture from the film, and they came back and said like, yeah, it's kind of like this kind of movement. I don't know. Just do something no, like that. I don't think it's really supposed to be ballroom. I, I think it's supposed to be like, like sensual like like they like they've got a list like they, basically i think when they were writing the movie they had like a a whiteboard but not like one that you can rub out but one you know where you've got like the sheets of paper and you like turn it over and you have to get like refills for it and stuff they've got like one of those and they've got like on it they've got like a um maybe that's too specific it doesn't have to be that kind of it can be a whiteboard if you want no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> but on it, they've got like a, a spider diagram. On their A3 refill yeah. pad. And they've yeah. got loads of refills as well because they know it's going to be a pretty big hit. Um, and they've got written on it like, what do women do? And then somewhere on that spider <laughs> diagram, they've got expressive, effeminate hand movements. Also, I think there's some kind of thing there where they're trying to be like, well, maybe if the hands move a lot, you can't see the size of the hands. So it's like going to always keep the audience. From this is, this was part of my thinking as well, that I thought maybe it's, it's a sort of distraction yeah. method. And then I was hoping that once we saw Dill speak, she would be equally. <laughs> yeah. Handsy. Maybe that's something that we could adopt um, in everyday life. Just when we're feeling self-conscious, when we're walking down the street, we just start like really giving it hands, you know? I think that's a great like, idea. I think I give great yeah. rest. I mean, look, look at that. I'm, I'm like a fucking swan. Yeah, over you here. are like a swan, and you'll always be blurred in photographs. <laughs> but you can see why, you, why I think I would be good at playing that role, right? I mean, like, look at me. Look at my cheekbones. Look at my wrist. Hey, I would. Uh Listen to my three octave vocal range, which I'm not going to showcase on the pod because, frankly, this is going out for free and people can't afford it. But I would, ca I would come cast on. you. If, if, I was, if I was... If... Will you coach me on my accent? If ever this gets adapted for stage and an audition call goes out, can you coach me on my accent? To the... Because I feel like that's the one thing All I'm right, well, let's work on it now, then. Let's pick a dill line and you're in an audition now with me. 
and you need to really sell it okay so let's see how it goes what go for it do you like me now that wasn't bad actually but can you can you just like because you are irish i feel like you have to ham up the i know you're lying jimmy it's just nice to say hear. say it again say do you like me now? Say, say, do you like me as a boy? But say it like a little bit more like Cockney-ish. You like me as Can a you boy. give it a little bit more like, do you like me as a boy? Do you like me as a Perfect. boy? you're in. <laughs> because I feel the thing is, if I, I think you're right, because I think if I lean into that, then maybe if I don't get the role as Dill, I will get cast in Swing in a production of Oliver, and I'm okay with that yeah, as well. Yeah, it's either Dill or Fagan, you know, <laughs> whichever, whichever one. Yeah, I'm that. cool with I would either. like to play, like, my dream casting if I ever was in something. I would like to be Nancy, actually. Um, You'd be a great Nancy, because so. you're a mouthy looking yeah, girl with exactly. big tits. <laughs> would you paint your face blue? Anything. I like the idea that you'd do a version where where the uh the sort of like challenges of what the the person would do like get increasingly absurd and increasingly so it starts off like you know like uh kiss a kangaroo anything and then by the end it's like you know take down the nation of Mongolia single-handedly like just we can link it back to the IRA yeah, we can, but we I won't. Be, I could try. I mean, I should <laughs> I should say at this point in the film that we're talking about with Dil, once Dill's been introduced, G uh, Jody was killed not by Fergus and his IRA cohorts, but Jody escaped, Fergus ran after him, and Jody was run over by a British armoured car. Hello, dramatic irony. Killed by his own government. So... Uh, Fergus then ran off to well, hold on, hold London on. Just, no, in fear no, no, wait, because wait. he knew he'd don't, get... Don't just, don't just jump over the fact that you're just skipping like one of the best death scenes in any film from the 90s, surely. Like, he doesn't just get killed by an armoured car. He gets hit by one and then squashed by another one. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty... It's the sort of death that is usually it's only a very comprehensive like villains, death. right? And he's very much not a villain. Well, this is the thing. I think the I think because we've all fallen a little bit in love with Daddy Whitaker at this mm. stage, the filmmaker is trying to tell us there's no chance that he's coming back. <laughs> that sack of pumpkins is thoroughly squashed. Yeah. There will be no jack-o'-lantern <laughs> this Halloween. And... <laughs> And Fergus sees this and he's like, oh shit, I'm going to get in trouble. I was meant to be watching that guy. So he flees to London and changes his name to Jimmy and tells everyone he's Scottish and becomes a labourer. Because that's what you did in it the 80s, in early, the 90s, 90s. early 90s. But I still, I came away from out of the film still liking Fergus. Is that weird? I feel like you've got much less time yeah, for Fergus I, than I do. I think it's weird. I really hate Fergus. And it's not because of the uh, the over-the-top vomiting. Like, I mean, the, the vomiting bit, it is just like, it's not even just that he's revulsed. It's like, yeah, we get it. Okay, enough of the theatrics. Like, he just keeps going and going and going. Yeah. What I don't like about Fergus is just that he's a liar. And he has no charisma. The only charisma he shows 
is when he's with uh is when he's with Jody at the beginning of the film. That's the only time there's any freeze and song he's happy to between touch dick Ferguson and another character. He loves touching Jody's dick. Yeah. I mean, to get him to piss, you know? Um the 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 bit where Jody uh, is under prison and he needs to go to the bathroom, so Fergus needs to assist him by lifting his dick out of his pants. Again, adding to the homoerotic subtext of the whole thing, but he's so into it. And uh, later on, when he he's presented with a beautiful woman's dick, suddenly the theatrical vomiting comes out. Well, listen, speaking of dicks, I, I feel like I have to ask this question because it's something I've always wondered about the Krangen. Well, it's something that only really clicked into my mind, like maybe like the fourth or fifth time watching it. And I, just for full disclosure, I have seen it about 10 times because um, I just love it. <laughs> but um, You just love seeing your story seeing told story on screen. Presented. But um, so look, and I don't know if this has ever been brought up before in like, an essay or a, or a think piece, but I've never heard anyone discuss it. But listen, Dill is called Dill, okay? You know where I'm going with this, right? Why is Dill called Dill? I it's know where you're going. It's a strange name choice, okay? And the only thing that I can think of there being a reason is because of the association with pickles, right? Dill pickles, Okay. <laughs> The brand of pickle. It's like, if there's a brand of pickle, there's only one brand that people know, and that's dill pickles. Okay? So are they trying... Is that like another clue to say like, pickle, penis, dill? Like, it was all there from the start. What I will say for the benefit of the listener is that Jen has told me that theory privately i think twice before before we ever discussed doing this podcast so that is something that jen genuinely yeah, believes I and i mean i i'm not one to dismiss it okay we can send neil jordan a, a little email if you really want confirmation like on that, that. But if we could get in contact with him that might be a fun thing to do i would actually like to know for definite if that was intentional it feels like a kind of yeah. it feels like I a mean, kind of jokey thing that they would do while writing the script to like remind themselves like oh yeah this character has a dick and it's going to play off it's going to like pay off big at some point in the film let's call them dill like dill pickles but then they maybe like forgot to change it or just got used to the name I mean it's possible it's also possible that they noticed that some trans women myself included have fucking weird names for a myriad of reasons. So they just decided like, oh, what's a weird name we can give her? It's also possible that that's just her birth name and that, and she didn't change it. Wait, I your mean, name is I don't free. know if they were necessarily... Yeah, free exactly. And that's because... <laughs> P comes out... Yeah, P exactly. It's more... is what comes out of a dick. Look, at this point, you're basically just auditioning to be a cryptic crossword clue. I'm actually trying to get you the role that you so desperately want. I'm trying to hint that you were born for it. Oh, sorry. I'm so bad at selling myself. Yeah, okay. You can um, write that to the producers when the inevitable stage adaptation happens. So after they've reconciled, Mm. 
Fergus gets caught up in the IRA again. Well, he can't escape and... them. It's like, they're like the mafia in this. There's that thing of like, you're never out, you know. Once you're in, you're in for good. Um, something I found really interesting though, or something I couldn't stop thinking about now, is that, you know, the woman who's in the IRA... Jude is Jude. her name. When she comes back, she comes back with like the fiercest like turf bangs that like you've ever seen in your life. Right? And I just get the impression that like from a from a a modern viewing of it, like I get like big turf energy from her. I don't know what you think about that. Oh yeah, so much. Yeah. I mean, I just thought she is the most sexless character I've ever seen in a film. She is so cold. And the bangs, yeah, I, even on just a subconscious level, made me think gender crit. For sure. But she's I, coming, like, her, her whole she's energy... She's coming to, like, fuck up their relationship. That's, like, her mission. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she comes in to fuck up their relationship. And there's and some cattiness still will not them. let her. Yeah, so essentially the IRA find Fergus again and they tell him if he messes up one more time, he's going to be killed, essentially. So they give him this task of, I'm going to say, carrying out a hit on some dude at a brothel. Yeah, a and this, once the IRA returned, after Dill and Fergus had gotten into the swing of their relationship and we were kind of dealing with that. I found all the IRA stuff pretty fucking tedious when it came back mm. and it felt very just like, oh, here's the plot tying itself up. That's true, yeah. It's like the film kind of like remembers again that it's like got to keep people supposedly interested, you know, like like has to has to add this like action element back into it and it gives you a little bit of like, oh, there's like a little bit of a card thing and the shooting in the street with a little gun and like people getting killed and stuff which is kind of it doesn't really feel like the rest of the film it feels like a little bit of a pulp fiction moment, yeah a little bit before pulp fiction yeah television's adrian Dumb so yeah essentially fergus misses the appointment to carry out but why does he but uh, why does he miss it because he's tied to a bed very like ropely with some tights yeah, Dill ties him to a bed with some tights. Like, oh, no, as you say, very ineffectually. Get out! This uh, this really strong, like labourer Irishman who has already shown his muscle dealing with dodgy Essex Dave, but I can't break away from these tights. Listen, I buy like 50 denier tights and they always rip all the time like i can't put on a pair of tights without ripping them so the very thought that tights could in any way keep him there for any amount of time is probably the, the least believable part of this film and I mean, it's only just occurred to me how angry it's made me in hindsight actually i like that bit when dill like shoots that woman the bit where Dill, like, shoots that woman is probably my favourite bit. Like, I felt like that whole ending sequence is just so ramped up to 11. Like, the bit the next morning after the, you know, failed assassination attempt when the RA are after uh, Fergus yeah. again. And Dill find, finds the gun in his jacket and then, like, Jude turns up and she's holding is that she's holding Fergus at gunpoint and, like, demanding that he tell her what secrets he's been keeping from her. 
like it's quite a brutally filmed scene like she properly like unloads that clip into her she's like pow 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 like like you feel it like she she shoots her in the shoulder she shoots her in the in the hand she shoots her in the (laughs) shoots her everywhere it's really violent it's a proper violent end and I feel like it. I feel like it's, it, it yeah. speaks to me. Yeah, and some she's way. talking when she's talking when she's talking about the part that Jude played in Jodie's death. She says something like she used her tits and that arse to yeah, get and it. She shoots like, them. That she sees, but it's like that idea that she, as a trans woman, sees like femininity and like cis female sexuality as a threat when it comes to a man that she loved. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I think it ties into that because, like, Dill is so insecure with men that the fact that the guy she loved was killed by this woman, she, you know, it's very much the fact that she is a woman and the fact that she, quote, used her tits and ass is is what I think really pushes Dill to shoot a cap in her yeah, ass. and we've all felt like that, haven't we, as trans women? I, I just think that it's really deft how everything bad and problematic that happens to dill is rooted in the fact that she as a trans woman is just desperate to be loved by a man so she will excuse all this horrible behavior happening to her and for me couching it in that makes it feel firstly more realistic because like i think i feel like we can i don't know i think we have we can relate to that in certain ways and i feel like it makes you empathize with her you know so directly like so when he's when her gender is revealed and he reacts apparently you're on her side immediately like not even just now in 1992 the film is doing it intentionally that the audience would be on her side intentionally even when she shoots Jude at the end you are in in a way on her side do you think like yeah the man she really loved was taken from her because of this woman. yeah i mean the saddest bit for me the saddest bit for me is is the very very end when we cut to the future and fergus is in prison serving time for the seven years i think after... like, I, I i figured it out on my calculator app yeah it was around 2000 days and i was gonna do the math yeah no, i did maths. it on the app so i he managed still to get to safety which i suppose is the only real like only real sort of like external act of love that he shows her throughout the movie that he makes sure she is protected Mm. uh, at the end she gets to safety and then she visits him in prison and she's counting down the days to his release you know i just think there's something so pathetic in that that she can't recognize even then after literally killing someone after hearing everything he's been through she still can't see her value as a person she still I mean, it's... And then you know what the song she literally is that says, it ends on? Is uh, Stand By Your Man. Yeah, a really, a pretty shanky cover version of Stand yeah. By Your Man. Do you know what version that was? Because the Tommy Wynette version, I mean, like, no chorus hits harder. And that well, no, version I mean, it was a man singing it. Flat. So I don't, I don't know who that man was. Again, probably intentional. Neil Jordan knows what he's doing. Yeah, right? also, it says your man. And that's what Irish people say. We, we say it all go, the time. Your man. Right. But the thing I thought, the thing I thought Stand was so, by your man. I was finding the end. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which translates as stand by that guy <laughs> yeah. over there. 
you know, it's a little bit more impact. But the, I was finding, I was finding the ending heartbreaking right up to the point that it ends with Fergus stealing Jody's frog scorpion parable from earlier. And at that point, I just thought, like, oh dear, they've that that felt like some, like college like screen film school like screenwriting 101 bullshit he does do the me. voices though he goes i'm a frog <laughs> you on my back you're gonna sting me he does the voices he does them well as well and maybe maybe that's uh fergus's great character arc not <laughs> that he's learned to be more honest with the woman he loves but that he has grown as an actor well look, here's the weird thing about this movie like the, the thing that i've only sort of realized on this watching of it is that i don't think the film is actually about him falling in love with a trans woman i feel like the film is like actually about him falling in love with jody at the beginning and then oh completely. but then there's this weird like psychodrama where he's kind of like trying to make dill into jody because he literally Completely, does that. yeah and we get he literally that dresses her up as yeah jody. in the makeover scene yeah yeah it's, it's just something that i mean i it never really maybe because i'm stupid but it just never really occurred to me in that way i guess i just always because he clearly does love jody from the start like that's why he wants to spend so much time with him and talk to him and... Yeah, and the sexual tension is palpable, like we were saying. Yeah. You can follow us at TransLobbyPod on both Twitter and Instagram. And we'd really appreciate it if you would do that because we don't have that many followers don't yet. Don't say and, that. Uh, also, you have, what, to come, what is you have it? to come out the gate with confidence. Look, people respect. People respect authenticity. People will respect and what we tell in them the, to respect. <laughs> in the vein of authenticity, I also want to, what, what is it people say? Like and subscribe and rate and comment and all yeah. that. But do do that, because I can only imagine it helps. I know nothing about analytics, but people say that so frequently that I can only imagine. You can't spell analytics without anal lick. Lit. And on that (laughs) note, I think maybe we should wrap things up. Where can our uh, listeners find you specifically on Twitter? At Jen Ives Comedian. And UP, where can they find you? Great. I'm at P Dinny. P like the vegetable. Dinny D I double N Y. Oh Dinny, yeah. Do we want to give the listeners our email address so they can email in their thoughts and their questions or their whatever? Or something like that, right? A signed email at birth. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to have a mailbag feature. So if anyone wants to mail in, they can get us at translobbypod at gmail.com. That's a damn fine email address, I have to say. That's a really great. Thanks, I thought it up myself. Yeah. Um, but why? What will they? What should they say? What should they email us with? Uh, we do we have a. Rec- we'll announce what we'd like to hear their thoughts on the crying game, and during the week we will announce what our next film is, and we'd like to hear their thoughts on that film as well. And, and you know, we'll just take it from there. It's a conversation, and we'd Jen. Like to hear their thoughts about how hot I am. Yeah, like just tell us how hot Jen is, really, because like 
sometimes it's good to state the obvious. Yeah, I was going to talk a little bit about my um my own crying game sort of situation that I had like yesterday, right? Yeah, I wanted to ask you about this, but I didn't know if I'd be overstepping a line as we are in a kind of public oh, forum yeah, but here. That's but... my bread and butter. Like, I don't care. Like I like to reveal too much about my life. Um, and I've already done it. Lil Jenny Public yeah, over here. Me, Lil Jenny Public. <laughs> I've always been called that. Um, it is interesting that it is such a crying game. It moment. really was. A, I mean, tell me yeah, about it. I mean, that. I know you already know about it, um, but let's pretend that you don't, just for the purposes of the of the listeners. So they, I will play the role of the ignorant yes. listener, the piss yep. pig. That's what we're calling our listeners, by the way. Piss pigs should have started the podcast saying, "Hey, piss well, pigs." We, we haven't. You'll know no, no, next we'll time. do it. I will we'll record the intro in a minute. But um, okay. Well, then edit out this bit before I your will. moment of actual <laughs> sincerity. Um, <laughs> okay. So yeah, tell me what happened to you. Okay. Well, I was doing uh, a gig yesterday. No big deal. You know, I do. You know, I perform stand-up comedy in clubs and stuff. It was a pretty, pretty big gig. That's yeah. my girl. And, um, somebody. A guy, um, before I went on, asked me for my phone number and was very flirtatious with me. And I was very, like, overwhelmed. I was like, oh, my God, because it just doesn't happen to me. Okay, like, I do, the, I do, like, the dating apps thing. I usually have to initiate stuff. Like, people don't approach me in that way. I'm not very approachable. I think I'm intimidating. I give off an intimidating aura. But anyway, this guy, he was loving it. I would like to chime in by saying you give off like a sexy 90s goth girl aura, but continue. Well, some people find that intimidating. Um, anyway, <laughs> so I did. I, I gave him my number. I was very flattered. I almost didn't believe him. I was like, I, I was like, really? Anyway, I did. Um, and then I went on stage and did my whole, I did like a little, you know, I did a little turn on stage as I do. And, uh, you know, a big part of my stand-up is me oversharing and talking about the fact that I'm trans and I might have made a joke saying I might have said something along the lines of wow like a guy just gave me his number um I hope he knows I'm trans and I said something like well he definitely does now (laughs) and then uh (laughs) I came off stage and I saw him and he said to me that I tricked him (laughs) and uh that he didn't know I was trans and he would never have been able to tell. And uh, I said, oh, does that mean you're not interested anymore? And he didn't really say anything. So I was just like, oh, well, I was like, don't worry about it. And it just sort of went up, went back upstairs. And uh, yeah, it was just a very, I mean, look, it wasn't exactly a crying game moment, but it could, but what was interesting is that it could have been one if I had never have gone on stage and announced it so publicly i reckon i could have got at least all the way back to his flat and had a real like crying game scenario play out so maybe i'm lucky in the end that it didn't happen but yeah i just thought it was interesting well i mean you're lucky in the sense that you've avoided having to go on a date with someone who is evidently a horrible piece of shit bigot (laughs) yeah it was it was quite it is quite a wounding thing i guess like it does you do feel a little bit like oh you know, judge me on my, judge me on the content of my character, not on. I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. who said, "Judge me on the content of my character, <laughs> not on my <laughs> reproductive organs." I believe he said that, and um, 
yeah. But this is the weird thing, is that, like, he was judging you on the content of your character because you had a little flirt with him, and he was judging you on your appearance because he saw you and he thought you were a fucking smoke show. And he asked for your number because of it. It's only because he finds out this one tiny detail about you that you're then robbed of that basic level of humanity. I mean, it's so... I just wish more people would only judge me by my appearance, and then I'd be so much better off, right? <laughs> so is that the ultimate goal with this audio podcast, is that people judge you ultimately by your appearance only? Well, no, but that's why I insisted so heavily on there being some kind of video element, because... <laughs> of course. You know, you have to have... You have to put the face to the to the voice. It's important. I've got a, I've got a kind of sultry voice, <laughs> but nasally. Yeah. Well, your appearance is the only reason that I'm friends. Oh, I know that. I know that. Um, and I'll have to be honest. When when I found out you were trans, I was kind of turned off as well. I had to do a lot of work on myself before I could accept hey, that about you. When I found out I was trans, I was turned off as well. I'll be honest with you. I, I was <laughs> I was quite into myself before then, and then. I, <laughs> Then I was sick in a toilet. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our first episode. Please continue to listen as we will only improve yes. with your support. And yeah, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed it. Bye. <laughs>